Amen. I am excited for next week. Um, I, I, I like to preach, but I even more like to hear testimonies of people's lives changed where God is working. We're going to see one of those stories in the book of Acts chapter 8 today as we get into it and we continue to talk about the Jesus way. So thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for watching online, those of you that are with us online this morning. And we're going to continue figuring out what does it look like to live out the kingdom of heaven, that's the Jesus way, in a broken world. That's where we live right now. And um, that can be a hard thing, can it? Because the, the Jesus way is often counterintuitive to us. It's often countercultural to the world around us. And we are meant to live differently, look differently, speak differently, because we know something different. We know that Jesus has given us an opportunity to live this life the way we long to live it, the way it was always meant to be lived. We also know that Jesus has an eternity of life ahead of us. And we want to step into that and invite as many people as possible into it. We learned last week as we watched the the story of the the transformation of the Samaritan community through the evangelism of Philip, the ministry of Peter and John in the first part of Acts chapter 8, that God can change broken people into people that heal broken people. And so I just want to say this morning, if you're feeling a little broken, one, good job being honest with yourself because all of us are in some way, shape, or form. But if you're feeling a little broken, or you're feeling a little too messed up, or you're feeling like, why am I even in church? I don't don't belong here. I want you to know you are a perfect candidate for God to, one, heal your brokenness, transform your life, and then use you as one of his best representatives to bring that healing to other people. It's an amazing thing that God does. It's part of how we live out the Jesus way faithfully. And we talked about the fact last week that our mission as Christ followers in this world, we have an identity that is in the family of God. We live out the character of God, but our mission, the purpose of our life in this broken world is to share the good news of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit, that wherever we go with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are meant to share the good news, both in action and in word. And that is what brings healing and change to an otherwise broken world. God wants to use us. He wants to empower us, but we have to stay in step with him if we're going to be used and empowered and partnered with God and with his Holy Spirit. And as I was thinking about that this week, about just the fact that God teams up with us to build his kingdom, which is always mind-blowing, I'm pretty confident that God could have done it better, quicker, and easier without any of our help. But because he's a good father, he loves to engage us in the family business of creating good things, of bringing flourishing life into the world and of saving broken people. He loves to engage us in that, which makes it so much more challenging. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of of, uh, this last season, the last couple of months, I've been coaching my son's fifth and sixth grade soccer team. And I'm pretty convinced that I was a fantastic coach if anybody was paying attention. And if you've ever parented kids, coached kids, if you were a teacher, God bless you. Because what's, what's, is the problem in the world that we don't have the answers and the solutions? The problem usually isn't that we don't know what we should do, or even more so that, that we don't know what other people should do. The problem is that nobody pays attention. Right, And so I remember in multiple times I've got all these, these 15, 5th, and 6th grade boys huddled up. They're huddled up, and I'm laying out the game plan. This is what we're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. This is how we are going to win. It was a great plan. 
And somewhere in the midst of the plan, one of the boys would be like, look, an airplane. (laughs) Or one of them would say, stop pinching me. Stop touching me. I'd be like, hey, hey, stop touching him. Pay attention. There was one time I was talking to one of the guys and I'm like, hey, do you understand what, what your job is to do? And he, he said to me, he looked me in the eyes and he said, coach, I caught a bee with my bare hands. <laughs> and I was like, well, that, that is impressive. I would like to hear more about that sometime. But right now, do you know what position you're playing? I think sometimes we do the same thing to God. Right? God has a game plan. And he has all the answers. He has everything that we need. And he's communicating with us by his word and by his spirit. He is leading us every day on his plan. And sometimes I think God is like, will you just, just pay attention for five minutes? And we'll, I'll get you where you need to go. And then after long periods of not paying attention, we're like, God, where were you that whole time? He's like, oh man, we got work to do. Right? He's so gracious and so patient, probably much more patient than I was with my fifth and sixth grade soccer team. But I think that often we're in the same situation with God. And we have to learn, if we want to experience what it's like to see the benefits of living life with the Holy Spirit, if we really want to be effective in the Jesus way, we have to learn to pay attention to God's voice. He does have a plan. He is leading, but he gives us the freedom to keep in step with him or to go our own way. And like small kids, we often wander off in an easily distractible environment, right? I want to share with you the next story of of Philip, who we talked about evangelizing the Samaritans last week. But in this case, we see him practicing in a very, in kind of an individual way. We see him practicing listening to God, paying attention to God's direction, being obedient to God's direction, and then the fruit of that attentiveness and that obedience. So we'll pick up in verse 26. Remember, Philip's right in the middle of leading a a revival in the community of Samaria. And here in verse 26, it says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Let's stop there. Now there's a lot in that little passage, but did you catch that God spoke to Philip in two different amazing ways. I don't know, we sometimes read by these phrases in the Bible like, yeah, this stuff happens in the Bible. Like an angel spoke to him. This, this is just a Bible thing. Here's the thing, this is, as, as we sang this morning, this is the same God that leads us today. That, that angels still exist in heaven and are operating on earth still today. And so an angel speaks to Philip And though you would think an angel would come and and get Philip to write like a a book of the Bible or give Philip some vision of heaven, instead the angel just says, hey, Philip, I know you're busy doing ministry, but God needs you to go south down this certain road. Go. Sometimes God's direction is unexpected and, and more abbreviated than we wish it was. 
But God speaks to Philip through this angel, and then later he speaks to God through the Holy Spirit, right? And he, he directs them to this situation where he's going to interact with this Ethiopian nobleman who happens to be a eunuch. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want you to notice some things about God's direction in our lives. First of all, God gives direction in his timing, not ours. If I'm Philip, I'm like, hey, uh, angel, really great to meet you. I've always wanted to see an angel. But I don't know if you've noticed, like, I am in a move of the Holy Spirit right now. Like, I'm really busy leading all of the people whose lives are being changed. I'm doing what God wants me to do. So if you could check back in about a week or so, maybe I'll be ready then. But God's perfect timing isn't always when we would pick his perfect timing to be. It's in his timing. But, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of a hoarse throat this morning. But not only is it in his timing, God has the ability to speak to us in different ways. And, and so we see this angelic messenger, and if you're new to the faith, what I would just say is, don't rule this out of happening in your life, but don't expect this to be the primary way that God's going to speak to you in life. We do see throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, that occasionally God will send an angelic messenger to communicate to one of his people. We also read in church history that there are occasional moments where people still experience angels. And I've talked to a couple of believers over the course of my ministry that have had experiences of real, uh, real visible, physical angels. But I've never seen one. I believe that they exist. I believe that God works in this way. But he doesn't work this way in every believer's life. Nor does he work this way very often in history. And what I think this shows us about paying attention to God's voice is that God is capable of dramatic messaging when dramatic change is required. Right? Most of the time in scripture, when you see something like an angel show up, it's because God is trying to tell one of his servants, who's usually busy doing something good, that he needs a sudden and dramatic change from them. He used angels to speak to people like Daniel, right, in the midst of, of trying to be faithful in the Babylonian Empire. He used angels to speak to disciples like Philip and later like Paul when they were going one direction in ministry, but God suddenly needed someone faithful to go another direction. God uses angels when his people who are trying to just be obedient where they're at need a sudden change of direction. Now, what's encouraging about that is that if God really needs to change your direction, he is more than capable of getting your attention in an undeniable way. I don't think we're very good at ignoring angels when they show up. In fact, usually when you see it in scripture, you, the, the people who see an angel drop everything, including their body to their knees and say, okay, God, what do you want? Because it's pretty impressive. But most of the time, God doesn't speak that way. Most of the time, God speaks more subtly like we see in the second message that he gives to Philip. It just simply says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go walk beside that carriage. Now notice mo both times the instructions are pretty simple. It's just God getting Philip in position for the next part of his ministry. But let's talk about what the Holy Spirit said. What do you think that sounded like? Do you think it was like the, the heavens opened and a beam of light came through the clouds and there was this loud, deep voice, probably sounded like James Earl Jones saying, Philip, I need you to go over by that carriage. Thus saith the Lord. It's not, it doesn't seem like that. 
It seems a lot more like what Jesus talked about in John chapters 14 through 16 when Jesus told his disciples what it was going to be like to walk with the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit is going to be like like a close friend who comes alongside you and the picture is somebody that puts their arm over your shoulder to walk side by side with you. And he said the Holy Spirit's going to operate like a counselor, like a mentor, like a comforter, like a coach like an advisor in your life, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and say, no, you wanna, let's steer this way. No, you're on track, keep doing what you're doing. No, don't listen to that voice, but do listen to God's voice. The Holy Spirit is like a friend that you almost don't notice his presence because he's so close to you all the time. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will not only be with you, he will be in you. So not only is the Holy Spirit's voice usually calm and even subtle, but the Holy Spirit's voice is often internal, not external. Meaning that, that the Holy Spirit's voice can often be lost in the midst of our own distracting thoughts. And I've, I've learned that, that often you learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, not by wondering if it's pragmatic, right? Not wondering if it's a thought that makes sense to you, but looking for its potential. What do I mean by that? That when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, It always has to be in alignment with Scripture. That's the number one test. If it doesn't align with Scripture, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not an angel, at least not a good one that serves God. It has to be in alignment with Scripture. But sometimes what feels almost like an idea that you didn't think of pops up in your spirit or in your mind, and you think, or at least I do, I think, oh, is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me in this moment? Sometimes it happens to me in the grocery store or in the middle of a meeting at work or in a conversation with my wife and suddenly there's a new thought in my head that didn't fit into the train, the stream of conscious that had been in my own head. And and sometimes that could be just a random thought out of the middle of nowhere, but what what I often test it by is say, does this thought maybe not make sense pragmatically, but it makes sense with ministry potential? For instance, when the Holy Spirit says to Philip, Go over and walk beside the carriage. Pragmatically speaking, Philip could say, well, I'm fine just walking right here. I'm already on the road God told me to be on. Besides, that guy's royalty. Like, he's, a, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. I, he's not even the same culture as me. If I get too close, that could create some, some, some social awkwardness. Or he might ask me to move away. Like, I don't know. I, I think that's just me. But pragmatically, Philip would never come up with the idea to go walk beside that carriage. It doesn't make sense pragmatically. But when it comes to ministry potential, when Philip has this prompting voice that says, you should go walk beside that carriage, though it doesn't make sense pragmatically, Philip, who's watched the Holy Spirit work in the apostles, in the early church, in his own ministry in Samaria, should be thinking, God, is this the next door you're opening? Is this why you brought me to this space? Is, is, this, is this something that you are opening for me? And so when we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't expect it to just have a, a quick and easy practical application. Like, oh, I get it, God. I get exactly where you're going. That makes total sense to me. No, both of the things that were spoken to Philip didn't make sense to him. They were easy to obey, but they didn't make sense in his life plan but they were both leading him to a place of ministry potential. And that is what you want to look for, is the Spirit speaking to me to lead me closer to my ministry potential. 
either positionally getting me in a situation for ministry or character-wise, he's cleansing my character to be more fit for ministry. We often call that conviction, right? Conviction of sin. So I want us to, to begin to look for that ministry potential and pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit because God does have a plan for your life. He had a plan for Philip that Philip wasn't even fully aware of. He's learning by it step by step. God has a plan for your life just like he had for Philip, and he's not done with his plan for your life yet, or you'd be with him already. He's not done leading you, guiding you, using you, prompting you, engaging you in the family business of representing the goodness of God and saving souls. He's not done with you yet. The question, as always, is are you paying attention to the subtle promptings of the Holy Spirit? God will always lead us. God will lead us, but we need to be positioned to respond. And I want you to notice what we've seen in prior chapters, some of the things that positioned Philip to hear God's voice, right? You might think like, why Philip? Why did Philip get chosen for this? But notice the track record of Philip's life. What positioned Philip to hear God and to respond? First of all, you know that he's a man of the word. You know that he's a man of the word because that was one of the qualifications for selecting him as a leader in the church, that he had to be a man who was respectable, full of the spirit, and wise according to the Bible, we also see that he's prepared here in a moment to answer biblical questions. We know that he was preaching the word of God to the Samaritans. So he was a person who already was familiar with God's voice for all people in all cultures for all time. And that is the Bible. This is the unchanging voice of God for all people, all cultures, all time. And this is how you learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. If it agrees with this, it might be from God. It likely is from God. If it disagrees from this, it isn't from God. In fact, you can actually test angelic messengers the same way. Do you know that, that one of the key differences, one of the reasons that, that Christians would consider Mormonism a cult, not a part of Christianity, is because one of the key founding leaders of Mormonism claimed to have a vision from an angel, which I don't, I, I, I believe that he did. But he had this vision in isolation, and the things that the angel told him did not agree with the word of God, which says to me, he may have seen an angel, but it wasn't one of God's messengers. It probably belonged to the other team. Now, if, if you come from a Mormon background, it's the classic tactic of the enemy to twist what God has said is true and put a God-like label on it that doesn't lead you to the place you want to go. So it's not a statement of them being bad. It's a statement of the devil being deceptive and we have to be discerning according to the word of God, right? So Philip was a man of the word of God. Secondly, we see Philip already involved in ministry. Philip was so involved in ministry, remember, it said that he was already known to be full of the spirit, which meant he was ministering everywhere that he went. And so he was already in ministry. Then he goes to Samaria, does more ministry. And as a young leader, I had an older leader say this to me once when I was seeking direction. Should I go here? Should I do this? God's not speaking to me. And he said, you know, Caleb, you've got some good options here. And God loves to hit a moving target. Now, I was like, wait, doesn't that make me the target? Is that like a, I don't know if I want to be the target. 
But what he meant is start stepping out in faith in a good direction and God will begin speaking to you and leading you. God loves to see spiritual momentum in our lives towards ministry and he will lead that spiritual momentum. But if we refuse to even step out in faith, God's like, I'm I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to take that first step. And so don't be afraid. Sometimes we're so afraid of taking the wrong step between two or three good options. Take a step and allow the Holy Spirit to guide your momentum. And Philip already had a track record of that. God says, man, you're faithful in Jerusalem. You're faithful in Samaria. I can work with that. I'm going to guide that here in this place with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then lastly, and I think this is so important in our day and age, in our culture, this is so important in a culture where we have so many voices all the time and many of them claiming to be Christian whether in politics or, or in Christian television or your favorite podcasts and preachers or even in churches that you might attend, we have plenty of people claiming to be good leaders, but are they according to Scripture? Right? Are they representing the Scriptures to you in a faithful way in their own lives? That's the prerequisite for Christian leadership. And what we see in Philip, and what I think is a prerequisite for us to hear God's voice, is to follow good leadership. And in our culture, so often people are following no leadership. We don't follow any authorities. We've just learned most authorities fail, so we reject all of them. Or we wholeheartedly absorb as authorities voices that there's no checks and balances for. We, we follow this voice or that voice, this agenda or that agenda, and we end up jumping on every cause that comes along the way or following every charismatic leader that catches our attention. And I can tell you that is a sure way to get deceived and not to hear the voice of God. God has given us parameters for how to test the voices of leadership. And I should be put to that test, and so should everyone else that you listen to. Are they biblical? Are they respectable? Are they full of the Spirit? Are they wise? And Philip had a track record of following and submitting to really good leadership, a.k.a. the apostles. Right? Remember what happened. Philip rose up under the leadership of the apostles in the church in Jerusalem. Then he goes out to minister in Samaria, and when he hits kind of a ministry snag, he's like, hey, they're coming to Jesus. They're not experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He reaches out to his leadership, Peter and John, and they come and pray and and lay hands on the Samaritans, and the Holy Spirit begins to move in the Samaritan church. Philip had shown that he was modeling his leadership after good leadership. And I'm not going to be the person that claims to be one of those. I strive to be one. I hope to be one. You should expect me to be one. But what I want you to be determined to do is to be discerning about the voices that you follow and make sure that you are being led by good leadership. Otherwise, the voice of the spirit and the voice of the human leadership you're following will be in conflict with one another. And for Philip, that wasn't the case. These are, these are prerequisites to hear the voice of God, but when God speaks, what should we do about that? Well, look at verse 30. I love, I love verse 30. It's just such a simple statement of Philip's response to the voice of God. It says, Philip ran over to the carriage and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? Because he knows the Hebrew scriptures, But he knows that this guy, he can tell this guy is Ethiopian. 
Likely would have been different skin color, definitely different cultural dress. He's in a chariot going towards Ethiopia, not towards Jerusalem. And I I love the, the practical reality here that first of all, when you hear God's voice, your number one job is to be where God wants you to be. And so Philip didn't stand there like I probably would have and be like, I don't know if this is God's voice. Sounds weird to walk by the chariot. I don't know, God, I need a confirmation. No, he's like, he's like, chariot, check. And he runs to get next to the chariot. And sometimes we just have to, we have to uh, be, be intentional about being where God wants us to be and be present in the place that God has called us to be. Now, if God hasn't told you otherwise, that means you are right where you're supposed to be. That means that there is actually incredible kingdom potential right where you're at because God wouldn't have made a mistake. He would either lead you out of that situation or he wants to use you in that situation. So some of you need to hear that again. If he hasn't led you elsewhere, you are right where you are at in a place of incredible ministry potential. So focus on looking for where that potential is, which brings us to the next statement, right? The the most important part of responding to God is that you look for opportunities to serve God's agenda in your situation. Now, some situations, that's harder than others, but if God has put you in a certain place, your job is to look for God, where, how do I serve your agenda here? Now that's a little confusing in a culture that says, you know, you're, you're in your job to make as much money as you can, to be as satisfied as you can, to be as fulfilled as you can, and if any of those boxes aren't checked, get out. And God says, um, apart from me, you're not gonna have enough. You're, you're not, your needs are not gonna be met. Your heart won't be fulfilled. Your longings won't be satisfied. But if you are with me, it doesn't matter what job you have, I can take care of you in all those areas. That's the promise of God. It kind of goes back to that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man or woman woman does not live by their job title, their job status, their promotional availability, or the amount of money that they make. We do not live by that. Now, we have been graciously blessed to live in a culture where many of us don't have to put that to the test very often. But all of us probably will at some point in our life. Right? Like, where does our provision and our fulfillment come from? But our job is to look for opportunities to serve where God has put us. And we see here that Philip walks up to this chariot, and what, is Philip's, what are Philip's eyes telling him? He's like, okay, I'm walking next to this chariot. I got this, this Ethiopian guy. He's a nobleman, so I should probably be careful what I say because he's, I'm not his status. He's a different culture, so I should probably be careful what I say because I don't want it to be offensive. But wait, he's reading, is that, yeah, he's reading the book of Isaiah. But he must, he's reading it over and over again. Hey, excuse me, do you, do you understand what you're reading? Can I help you with that? I'm educated in the Hebrew scriptures. And I can see you're from Ethiopia. Do you need some help understanding that? And Philip recognized a practical door opening for a spiritual opportunity, right? And and so the bottom line is this, that when God speaks, we have to respond with obedience. He ran to the place God told him. We have to respond with humility. 
He didn't, he didn't jump in front of the carriage and say, stop, in the name of the Lord, I must tell you the gospel. Repent of your sins before you go to hell. I mean, some Christians have interpreted our mission that way. We're like, we laugh about it, but we've probably all seen it happen, at least on social media. Ugh. No, our response should be with obedience, with humility, and then with availability. Hey, can I help? Can I, is there something I can do to help you? Can I serve you? The amazing thing about God is that God calls you to be where you are, not to be loved and served, but to love and serve the people around you. God is committed to loving and serving you in all of the ways that you need, which is humbling. We don't deserve that from him, but Jesus, by his spirit, will love and serve you more than any human being can. If all human beings reject you and hate you, God is still more than the sum of all of their parts, right? right? God can love you and serve you all that you need, but he has sent you to be like him, loving and serving the people around you. So look for opportunities and respond with obedience, humility, and availability. And when you do, look what can happen. Verse 31, it says, the man replied, how can I understand unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip, come into the carriage and sit with me. Verse 32, the passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So, the, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You know what's amazing about this? First of all, that passage is from the, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, the passage about the suffering servant, where it's one of the hangups for Jews that have not received Jesus as their Messiah. The, their picture of the Messiah is so victory-oriented, they cannot accept some of the passages about the Messiah suffering. They're like, that's not the way it's supposed to go. He's supposed to win, well, those of us that have, have come to believe in Jesus, we understand that Jesus' victory came through humility and sacrifice, right? He sacrificed himself not only for his own victory, but so that we could all share in that victory. And so it's one of the confusing scriptures in the, in the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. So this guy is understandably hung up, like, who is he talking about here? It can't be the Messiah. Is he talking about himself, somebody else? And Philip says, I'm glad you asked. Here's what this scripture means. And it actually points to this other scripture. And it points to this about Jesus. And here is what Jesus has done for you. When we first offer practical help to practical needs, right? Hey, can I help you understand those Hebrew scriptures? You probably didn't grow up learning them. When we offer practical help to practical needs, we earn the right to offer spiritual help to spiritual needs. They should not be exclusive of each other, right? You shouldn't assume that you just get to speak to the spiritual and never have to serve someone practically. Nor should you consider that serving someone practically is the job finished. Because if you're willing to serve someone practically, but you're not willing to serve their eternity, it's probably self-serving, not other-serving. Much of human human 
beneficence is that motivated, is self-motivated so we can feel better about ourselves. But when we minister the spiritual needs too, we show that it's about Jesus and about them. We have to look for the practical needs so that we can minister to the spiritual needs. And that means that we have to be where we're at, looking for opportunities to serve, and then watch for the right moment to share Jesus. Watch for the right moment to share Jesus. Again, Philip allowed the natural course of a conversation to lead him to lead this person to Jesus. He allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him. He was faithful to do the parts that the Holy Spirit was calling him to do. And then the Holy Spirit opened the doors. I think sometimes when we're hitting walls, it's because we're trying to force a spiritual door open by practical means or vice versa. It's we're trying to do what only God can do in our strength. We're trying to make something happen for the kingdom of God without God. And that will always end up backfiring. Or on the other side of it, we're trying to just say, God, you do your thing and I'll stay over here and do my thing. I want nothing to do with it. None of those options are the Jesus way. And look what can happen when we have our ears open to heaven and our eyes open to the world around us. We pick up in verse 36 where it says, As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And here's what I want you to realize. Baptism is the physical symbol of the spiritual reality that someone has moved from death to life. It is the physical symbol that someone went from rejecting God to now being adopted by God. It is the physical symbol that what you believe in your heart and have said with your mouth is true in your life, that you now belong to Jesus. And so the old is gone, dead with Jesus on the cross, dead in the grave, as you would be if you didn't come to Christ, and you have resurrected with Jesus and will live both in this life full of the Spirit and will live in eternity in the presence of God. This is a big deal. This is the difference in someone's eternal destiny changing. When this guy is hearing through the scriptures that the end result of Jesus suffering like a lamb before the shears that was silent, the lamb that was slain, when he sees the end result is I put my faith in Jesus and I'm baptized into the family of Jesus. And he says, look, a ditch full of water. Can I get baptized right there? And here, do you know what he was also asking? He says, why can't I be baptized? Do you know that as a eunuch, it says that he was a eunuch, which means that he was not capable of having children. And often, this was not because he was born with a defect. It's because to get those kinds of jobs, you had to be castrated to make sure that you are 100% focused on work. Is that a requirement for any promotions in your industry? Like somewhere along the line, whether he was forced or asked, he was castrated, which essentially meant he was cut off from marriage and family to be 100% focused on his job. 100% focused on his job. And so when he recognizes that baptism is the adoption ceremony into the family of God, he realizes that what Jesus did for him on the cross gives him something spiritually that he can never have practically. He will never have a family, practically speaking. But through God, Philip can become his brother. 
Philip, who was a part of a culture that had been at war with Ethiopians in the past, would now become his brother. And just like we saw Jesus extend his family from Jews to Samaritans, now Jesus is extending his family now to Africans, and he's saying everybody has a place in the family. So the, the Ethiopian eunuch says, can I get baptized in this, into this family? And Philip's like, yes. Jesus died for you too. And he says, there's a ditch full of water right there. Let's do it. And royalty embraced humility because the family of God was worth it to him. How beautiful is that? So in this moment, we see a man's eternity was changed. And there's something that we, we do as a pastoral staff. We have to remind ourselves, because in running the organizational side of a church, we could get really lost in the wrong goals and wins for our job as pastors. And so we have a list of eight things that we say, these are the wins that scripture has called us to. And we are gonna work towards these things. We are gonna live for these things. We're, gonna, we're not gonna erase these things for programs, we're going to judge programs by these things. And the top win of all of the eight wins is when someone gives their life to Jesus. That is the number one win. And we celebrate it in staff meeting the way I read about it in scripture. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus said, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He says a few verses before, he, he says, actually there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repenting than over 99 righteous people staying righteous. Now he doesn't say that they don't rejoice over that. He just says there's an extra level when one person's eternity changes because all of the angels are looking at humanity, rejecting God, and they're like, God, I don't know what you're doing down there. They don't say it out loud, but God knows because he can read their brains minds, whatever angels have, their thought processes, right? They're like, God, they've rejected you. They're your enemies. They don't want you. They're not following your ways. Why are you sending Jesus to die? And then every time one person leaves behind their old, old way of life and says, I want Jesus, the angels are like, God, you did it. You did the impossible. You saved another one. Woo! So when we're sitting in staff meeting and one pastor says, hey guys, I got to pray with somebody to receive Jesus this week. Or Pastor Shannon says, hey, one of the prayer team prayed with someone to surrender their life to Jesus this week. Or hey, one of the growth group leaders called and someone came to Jesus in growth group this week. We set down our laptops and our notebooks and everything else and we stand up and we praise God and celebrate that another miracle has happened. And next week when we baptize people, that is your job as the church, to join with angels in heaven and celebrating what God has done. And it should remind you of what he has done for you too. That you who were dead in your sin were loved by God when you were still a sinner. And he died for your sins when you had not yet chosen him because he loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to fill you with his spirit in this life and make something of it. And then in eternity, he wants to enjoy the adventure of heaven with you. And I can't wait for that. But in the meantime, we have a mission to accomplish. So don't minimize one life being changed by the good news of Jesus. But that's not where the story ends. 
We have the advantage of looking back over 2,000 years of church history to see the results of decisions like this. And did you know that the, the ancient church of Ethiopia is one of the oldest cultural churches in the world, if not the oldest? So Historians aren't, aren't you know, they, they can put some estimated dates, but it's likely that, that the Ethiopian church has been established there longer than the Greek Orthodox Church, the Roman Catholic Church, that the cultural church in Ethiopia was the first kind of cultural church to be established in the entire known world. Isn't that crazy? Like Africans should be proud because they beat the Europeans to the punch, right? That took Paul and all sorts of other things to happen, right? And, and here's the beautiful part about that. Many church historians believe that it was this Ethiopian eunuch who went back and used his position of authority to share the gospel and plant the church in Ethiopia that still exists to this day, despite wars and cultural takeovers and cultural dilemmas and economic issues, and yet there are still people that need to be saved there today, which is why we're going to help plant some churches there with our Thanksgiving offering next week. We get to be a part of what started this day when Philip led this guy to the Lord and we get to finish the mission right ideally we get to finish the mission or move the ball down the field and so don't underestimate your obedience before the Lord you will not always know the impact of your obedience but you can know that God won't waste it you know for Philip he just led like a whole community of Samaritans to the Lord in some ways, this is a small thing compared to what God already used him for. Like, God, why did you take me out of that harvest to bring me to one guy? Because God knew that there was a nation in Ethiopia ready to hear the good news, right? Philip didn't see it, but God saw it. And 1 Corinthians 3 is a great passage to study on this topic, but in verses 6 through 11, it tells us that in the mission of God, some of us plant seeds, for the gospel, some of us water those seeds and some of us get to see the harvest like salvation and baptism. And it should stick out to you in the story like, why did this Ethiopian guy travel all the way to Jerusalem in the first place? Like he had heard that Jerusalem was one of the holy cities in the world and in his search for the divine, he went to Jerusalem to worship, but he didn't even know who he was worshiping. And then in his search for the divine, probably in Jerusalem, someone gave him a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. And he's re riding home trying to like, what? what does this even mean? Like, what? who is this God? People had planted seeds along the way. God had used people to plant seeds along the way. And then Philip showed up to bring in the harvest of another soul saved. You don't know whether you're in your family, in your workplace, wherever, planting seeds or bringing in the harvest, but you know that it can be fruitful and that obedience is not just fruitful in the world, it's fruitful in your life. Sometimes we wonder, well, man, this feels like it's all about everyone else. God, what about me? And we know that's an immature thing we're not supposed to say, but sometimes we all feel it. And let's look at what happened with Philip here in verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. I do not know what that means. <laughs> the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. <laughs> Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus, and he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Philip 
got fast-tracked into the next stage of ministry. Here's what we see in Philip's life. We see Philip be faithful as a disciple in the church of Jerusalem, and he gets promoted into leadership. We see Philip in a time of persecution be faithful with the opportunities for ministry in Samaria, and an angel shows up and moves him to the road to Gaza. We see Philip be faithful to be obedient to the Holy Spirit with one cross-cultural moment on the road to Gaza, and then we see God just be like, Philip, I don't even need to send an angel. Like, I know you're going to do what you're told. I know you understand the mission. I just need you over here now. I hope there was a noise. Like, I, Philip, I mean, can you imagine? Philip's like, what is happening right now? Where am I? But you know what he knew? He knew that wherever he was, it was to preach the gospel. It was to share the good news of Jesus. And why do I say that? Because here's the deal. When you respond to God, he will open more doors for kingdom impact. And other people will benefit, but so will you. There is nothing better than being in the presence of God. There is nothing more exciting than seeing God move in and through your life. But often the question is not whether God has chosen us. It's whether we are paying attention to him. And you all have different spiritual gifts. For some of you, I've talked to people, they're like, I feel the presence of God every week when I write a check. And I'm like, that's the Bible saying, that's a spiritual gift of giving. That's like amazing. I don't have that one. Giving's like a discipline for me. I must be stingy. I've heard people say like, man, when I show up to serve in kids or show up to serve, I feel the presence of God as much greeting at the doors as I do during worship. It's because you have a spiritual gift of serving. I hear people say, man, I, I felt the Holy Spirit just burdening me for my coworkers. That is the Holy Spirit burdening with you with evangelism. Right, like the Holy Spirit wants to work with you, through you in all these different ways and you have to pay attention and be where he wants you to be. He doesn't need you to be perfect. He doesn't need you to be smart. He doesn't need you to be all the things the world calls you to be. He needs you to be willing and available. And so this morning, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and, and we're gonna, as we have been, respond to the word of God. And this morning, I'm not gonna call the prayer team down, but what I wanna do is just in a world that's so full of distractions, I wanna just take a moment and listen. The worship team's gonna sing a song over us this morning about being available and, and open to the Lord. Your job is not necessarily to sing with them. Your job is to have a heart that's truly listening to God. Because I believe that if you say, God, I really do want you to have your way in me, the Holy Spirit will begin to work with that. Often the greatest obstacle in my life is that I'm too nervous to make myself available to God. I'm like, God, I'm kind of happy with my own plan. And if I really listen to you, I'm pretty sure you're going to change my plan. And I really like my plan. It feels like my favorite plan. <laughs> and sometimes God has a way harder time leading me than he had leading Philip. And I always regret that because at the end of the day, God always brings me around. He's like, Caleb, your heart's willing. It's just stubborn. There's a verse that says, don't be like a mule. I think that one was for me. Let's not be hard of heart. Let's not be stubborn like a mule. Let's be like Philip and be open to what God wants to do in our lives. 
You might not be ready for the Philip journey quite yet, but what's God's next step for you? So would you just over this next song just sit and listen to God's voice? And what I can tell you is that he will be loving, he will be wise, he will be gentle, and he will be right. But are we paying attention?